You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. ...of giving of our tithes and our offerings. We believe that the tithe is the irreducible minimum. From that point on, you begin to give. And when you begin to give, you really begin to get in on the glory and the wonder of all of God's provision. I'm going to ask you, if you will, please, to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. In a few moments, we're going to stand and read together verses 31 and 32 from the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. I am speaking in this service on the following subject, the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin. There are many people who question what this sin might be. Many others who say to themselves, I wonder, have I ever committed the unpardonable sin? Is it possible that I could never be saved, that I could never possibly enter the kingdom of heaven. And so this morning I want to speak on this subject, the unpardonable sin. If you will, please stand with me. We will read together from the Word of God these two verses, 31 and 32, from the 12th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Now let's read them aloud together. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. The unpardonable Sin. That's the subject for the message this morning. Now we're going to pray. We're going to ask that God in a particular way would put his hand upon the offering. Let me remind you that these are our starlight days. Tonight, my friend, I tell you, I am so excited about tonight. Tonight will be actually the beginning service of our starlight crusade. And you are in for a wonderful blessing as we are blessed musically, and then as we probe our hearts with the Word of God, I believe God's Spirit has many things in store for us. And of course, during starlight, it's imperative that we all give above and beyond, and I want to encourage you to do that this morning. This year, we're going to do something different. This year, we're going to televise our Starlight Crusade on a delayed broadcast in just a few weeks, three nights, prime time, to hundreds of thousands of homes. And we're praying that God would use this to reach many, many people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a thrill it is to be here. And Father, how we praise you for the wonderful opportunity of worship. Dear God in heaven, how we ask that your Holy Spirit would move in power in these next few moments as we search our hearts in the light of this, your word. Now, Father, our prayer is that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and change our lives. Lord, we also pray that you would put a particular blessing upon the offering as we give it. 
Father, we realize it is just a small measure of our love for you. At the same time, Father, our offering speaks volumes about our faith in you. And so we give, Heavenly Father, and lay claim to all of your wonderful promises for those who respond in faith unto you. Touch our hearts now as we worship together is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Week after week, I am mightily blessed by these musicians, aren't you? And I praise God for the fact that their heart's desire is to minister in the wonderful, blessed spirit of God. And I'm so grateful for their sharing with us this morning. I'm going to ask you, if you will, please, to open your Bible to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, the very first book of the New Testament, chapter 12, as we think together about the unpardonable sin, the unpardonable sin. Over the years, more people than I can remember have come to me with this problem. Pastor, I can't seem to get the certainty in my heart that I am a Christian. I don't know why that is the case. I've tried every kind of prayer imaginable, but I still wonder sometimes if I die, would I go to heaven? I've counseled with other people. I've talked to my friends. I have laid awake at night in my bed and puzzled about this. I've searched my heart. But for some reason, I have never come to that point in my life when I know for sure if I died that I would spend that wonderful eternity in heaven with my Lord Jesus. Is it possible, Pastor, is it possible I have committed what the Bible calls the unpardonable sin? Is it possible that no matter what I say or how I feel or what I try to do, is it possible that I can never, ever become a Christian? Is that a possibility? Have I committed the unpardonable sin? Our Lord Jesus had a man brought to him one day who was demon-possessed. You say, Brother Tom, do you believe in demon possession? Absolutely. Without any shadow of doubt, our Lord Jesus frequently encountered demon-possessed people. After his ascension to heaven, we see that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ often has to deal in what we might call spiritual or demonic warfare. And so here was a young man, perhaps we don't know his age, but a man brought to Jesus who was possessed of a demon. The ultimate result of this man's demon possession was that he was blind and he could not speak. And so our Lord Jesus, the Bible says, healed him. We read that in verse 22 of chapter 12, Matthew's Gospel. Insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spoke and saw. 
And all the people, we read in that next verse, were amazed and they said, Is not this the son of David? In other words, they readily confessed Jesus was the coming Messiah and that he was right there. But the religionists heard of it, the Pharisees. And the Bible says they had a quick answer. I mean, just like that, they were not to be robbed of their authority and so with pompous, pious religiosity, they had a quick answer that they hadn't even thought through. They said, as some people do even today, well, this guy doesn't even cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. In other words, they said, he is himself uh, in league with the devil, and he's not really doing this in the name of God, but he's just playing tricks on you. The Bible says Jesus knew their thoughts. We read that in verse 25. And he said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And so if it's true, like you Pharisees are saying, that Satan cast out Satan, then Satan is divided against himself, and how shall his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, that is, by the chief of the devils, if I cast out devils, by whom do your children cast out devils? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I do cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then pay attention, wake up. If I'm casting out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. I am here. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house he that is not with me is against me he that gathereth not with me scatters abroad and then jesus whirled on those religionists and i can in my mind's eye see him pointing his finger right down their throat and saying listen i say unto you all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be given unto me, forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And just to clarify that, Jesus makes an astounding statement. He says, Whosoever speaks against the word, uh, a word against the Son of Man, that shall be forgiven him. In fact, we have that testimony in the Scripture those who spoke out against Jesus and later came to repentance and found forgiveness. But he says, Whosoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. And that is why we call this the unpardonable sin. I want us to answer three questions this morning and we'll go right straight to the Scripture for each of these answers. The first question, what is the unpardonable sin? The second question, who can commit the unpardonable sin? The third question, how can I know if I have committed the unpardonable sin, the sin which cannot be forgiven? Now let me say in advance that many people have offered many suggestions about this passage of Scripture. And I think the only alternative you and I have in dealing with any issue so sensitive as this is simply to search deeper into the Word of God 
and let God by His Spirit through the Word bring illumination to our lives this morning. And I want to so hide behind the Word of God with what I say that when you leave, you don't have a problem with me if you've got a problem. Your problem will be with the Word of God and God who Himself who has spoken to you by His Spirit and through the Word. The first question, what is the unpardonable sin? What is the unpardonable sin? Now, to put it simply, the Scripture speaks of that sin which will not be forgiven as blasphemy against the Holy Ghost or against the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 31, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. Now, what does that mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? First, the word blaspheme. In the original language of the Scripture, it means quite simply to speak evil against someone or about something, to vilify. That is to, to say hurtful and irreverent things, to seek to hinder someone else's respect for someone by speaking in a cruel, antagonistic manner. Now, that's what it means to blaspheme. And so the Bible says that there is a sin which cannot be forgiven, neither in this world nor in the world to come. It is the sin of blasphemy, that is, speaking evil against, vilifying, hindering, speaking antagonistically, taking at little value the Holy Spirit. Now, let's think just a moment about who the Holy Spirit is. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is a person, by the way, not an ingredient. Sometimes people get that mixed up because in the Bible we see the Holy Spirit compared on one occasion to oil, on another to water, on another occasion to uh, fire, on another occasion to a dove. And so sometimes people think of the Holy Spirit as an ingredient, but He is a person, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit, He has the express responsibility of glorifying, that is, of magnifying Christ by all means, so that when you see the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak of Himself, but He speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He amplifies or magnifies the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible tells us that He is a person. He has emotions. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. The Holy Spirit can be hindered. Uh, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit uh, can be resisted as you would resist a person. He is a person. He is always spoken of with personal pronouns. When He, the Spirit, when He, the Comforter, He's spoken of always as a person. Now this morning there is a particular work of the Holy Spirit, however, that I want you to see. We read about it in the 16th chapter of John's Gospel. You might want to turn over to that page. Chapter 16, I want to read to you beginning with verse 7. John's Gospel, chapter 16, beginning with verse 7. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, and this is Jesus speaking. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him, that is the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, unto you. 
And when he is come, notice this, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world, that is Satan, is judged. Now, notice the Holy Spirit is sent to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to to come. Now, the unpardonable sin is not a matter of committing sins, such as breaking the Ten Commandments. In fact, the Lord Jesus makes an absolutely astounding statement here in my mind, my way of thinking, when he says that even if a man shall speak against me, the Son of Man, that can be forgiven of him. But the unpardonable sin is discounting, setting at naught, speaking against the work of the Holy Spirit, speaking irreverently, calling as valueless the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, and more especially, attributing the work of the Spirit of God to Satan himself. In fact, verse 32 here makes it clear that this shall not ever be forgiven. Let's read it. Whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Ghost... Now, this is not Tom Ellis speaking to you. These are the words of Jesus. Whosoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. There is no pardon for it. Now, I've been very interested in the past several weeks especially, noting that there are a number of people who sit in prison on what we call death row, and they are waiting there to die. And within the heart of so many of them and in the heart of many of their relatives and friends and other people who have a particular cause to espouse, there is the hope that even at the last minute the governor of the state may step in and commute that sentence, may pardon that man. And this has happened, in fact, on some occasions. And so there's this tremendous hope why at the last minute that that governor might step in or some judge earlier might discount and call for a retrial and that man will be found to be pardoned, he will be set free from prison, and especially it will be a joyous occasion for him because he will be taken off of death row. So there is the hope of pardon. However, when we speak of the unpardonable sin, Jesus makes it very clear. He said this sin, the sin of speaking against the Holy Spirit, shall not be forgiven, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, why is that the case? It is the case because at the heart of this sin is unbelief. Unbelief. It is a matter of saying, I don't believe in what God is doing. I don't believe in what I seem to be being told about Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, putting your trust in Him, I'm not speaking of mere intellectual assent, but putting your trust 
absolutely abandoning yourself to Jesus is the prerequisite of salvation. No man can come to God without coming through Jesus. No man can come to Jesus without trusting in Him entirely as God's only way of salvation. And so when a man sits back and sees what the Holy Spirit of God is doing, he laughs at it, he discounts it, he mocks it, he makes fun of it, he says, it's not for me. If you want that old crutch religion, you can have it. I don't want it. That man is not believer, a believer. He cannot come to God. He has committed an unpardonable sin because at the heart of it is unbelief. Now, here is a man, and I have seen this so many times. I've seen people whom I... Without trying to be a judge, I in my mind have just been impressed. There is the kind of person that would have committed the unpardonable sin. Here's a man, for instance. He's not a Christian. He didn't want to be a Christian. He let his family know perhaps. Maybe he's gracious about it. Maybe he's mean about it. But his son or daughter comes home. And that child says, Daddy, I put my trust in Jesus. And he laughs and says, well, whatever turns you on, I guess that's okay for you. Well, Daddy, I mean it. Jesus has made a difference in my life. He convicted me of my sin. Oh, son, daughter, get off my back. You know, if that's going to make you happy, you can go ahead and do it. That's not for me. This man's wife, beautiful, has the grace of God in her life seeks to live a righteous life. She comes to her husband and she says, Sweetheart, it can be all right with you and God if you would just come to the point where you trust in Jesus and God's Spirit, just as He has spoken through that child convicting of sin, God's Spirit speaks through that wife convicting of righteousness. It can be right with you. And he says, Sweetheart, listen, I'm not a religious man. I am not a person given to that kind of thing. I have got a life to live. Now, if you want to bundle the kids up and take them off to church, that is your business. It is not for me. And then he flips on the television like some will do even this morning. And there'll be a preacher up there. He may be an educated man. He may be an uneducated person. And that man will sit back in his easy chair with the Sunday paper folded across his lap and he will literally mock that man of God. Ha! As that man of God says, one day the Lord is going to come. One day you're going to be called for an accounting before God. One day there will be a judgment. He's been convicted of sin by his child, of righteousness by his wife. The preacher is preaching about judgment to come, and he tells jokes about the preacher. He has rejected, mocked, turned away, spoken against the work of the Holy Spirit. He is an unbeliever, and there is no pardon where there is no belief. Who can commit the unpardonable sin? Who can commit the unpardonable sin? Well, let me say right off the bat, not a Christian. Now, wait a minute. I didn't say not a person who goes to a Christian church. <laughs> Jesus had his biggest problems with religious people. 
nitpickers, letter of the lawers. Jesus had his biggest problem with those. I didn't say that um, people who tried hard and were real sincere couldn't commit the unpardonable sin. But I am saying no genuinely born-again believer can commit the unpardonable sin. No person who's come to that point in his life or her life where they've said, I realize there is no other way of salvation except by trusting in Jesus Christ. Salvation among men is not given in any other fashion except trusting in Jesus alone. And that person has transferred their trust from religion, from church, from good works, from family heritage, from living perhaps in America, and said, I come with nothing in my hand, no credentials except my sin. I just trust in Jesus. Now, the Bible says that when that happens, God plants the Holy Spirit within you. In fact, 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 says this is the way we know we are in him and he in us in that he has given us of his spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do within the believer? The Bible says furthermore that the Holy Spirit works within us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And Jesus has already made it clear that he would not speak against his own kingdom any more than Satan would speak against his own kingdom. And so since you are a believer, if you in fact have believed, the Holy Spirit would live in your life. He is working within you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. He would not reject himself. And so therefore I can say to you categorically that while Christians may be careless, while Christians may commit sins on this earth, a genuinely born-again believer in Christ will never commit the unpardonable sin. But let me say secondly that every unbeliever is flirting with the unpardonable sin. Every unbeliever. Any person in this congregation this morning who has yet to come to that time of saving faith, trusting in Jesus only as Savior and Lord, may commit the unpardonable sin. By the way, you don't have to be ugly and mean to commit the unpardonable sin. Sometimes people say, why? I don't get up there and stand up in the middle of a soapbox and shake my fist in the face of God and say, God, I hate you, I hate your son, and I especially hate the work of your Holy Spirit. I absolutely reject it. You don't have to go off and be some kind of person like that. You can be the most gracious, well-mannered, suave, debonair, genteel person this world has ever seen. And still, in your pseudo-intellectual, unspiritual way, speak irreverently about the work of the Holy Spirit. Some of the people I think that we so often fail to see as absolute enemies of God are those who speak against God with that little smirk like, well, if you really had it all together like I do, you'd realize you don't need God. Students sit in those classes 
and they lap it up, and sometimes they love that professor because that professor is open-minded and parents are closed-minded. Sometimes that professor is educated, mom and dad are narrow, and he just works down on the line at the factory. And oh, here is this gracious gentleman or gentlewoman, and they've traveled the world, and they've come back, and they're saying, why, you don't need the things of God. So you don't have to be ugly, mean, vicious to commit the unpardonable sin. Now, there's some people out here in this congregation who are not Christians. You're burdened by it. You're convicted of your sin. You're searching, the Bible says. You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently search for him. And one day you'll come to Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. I am confident of that. Some of you will. But others of you right now this morning are tempted just to laugh it off. And you call the work of the Spirit of God a crutch or a psychological trick that some people need to have, but not you, because you have got it all together. And I want to say to you that every unbeliever, every person in this auditorium this morning who has yet to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is flirting with the unpardonable sin. You say, why do you say that? I don't want to commit the unpardonable sin. I just don't want to come to Jesus. You know what that's like? I saw a documentary this past week on television about Hurricane Camille. You remember that hurricane back in the late 60s which brought such devastation to the Gulf Coast? And I want to tell you something. Into those communities... For hours in advance, there came the news. This is a vicious storm. Your life is at stake. You need to flee this coastal area. A lot of people did. I want to tell you something. You can't drown in the ocean if you're 60 miles from it. And there were a lot of people who just weren't going to be drowned or just weren't going to perish forever simply because they weren't anywhere near the ocean. When it rose up dozens of feet in the air and slashed onto that coastland and destroyed everything in its path. But I want to tell you something. There were people there who flirted with it. They said, well, <clears throat> we've lived here a long time and uh, we've seen this thing come and go. We've had other storms. In fact, some of them were even up in an apartment building having a hurricane party. And I listened as a lady, one survivor out of 25 people who were in that one hotel. She said, I pushed my way out of that window. I watched as my husband drowned. She said, I gathered up boards. The nails were lacerating my face. And she said, I began to watch the lights on the building where those people were having that party, and gradually they just simply slipped down under the water, and I knew those people were gone. But you wouldn't have gotten drowned if you'd gotten away from the ocean. And I want to tell you something. Any person who continues to live in a sea of unbelief, I don't care what kind of a boat you're paddling around in, what kind of a tower you think you've built for yourself, I don't care how high you think you might be in your intellect, as long as you stay in the sea of unbelief, you are flirting with the unpardonable sin. 
You stand on the verge of speaking against the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Finally this morning, how can I know if I have committed the unpardonable sin? Interesting question, is it not? How can I know if I have committed the unpardonable sin? In the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, the 44th verse, we read these words, No man can come to, the, to me except the Father who has sent me draw him. You can't come to God unless he draws you. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. It will forever be that way. Why? Because God is the hero, the captain of your salvation, not you. And no man will come to the Father except he is drawn by the Father. Jesus said it, John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 44. You may think one of these days you'll get all your intellectual evidence together, you'll run through your file, you'll come to that great conclusion that God is right and you've been wrong and you will trust in Jesus. Friend, let me tell you something. You can't come to God unless God draws you. He is the hero of your salvation. Now, the interesting thing about it is this. That same scripture says, whosoever will may come. And you may think, well, when I decide I want to come, I'll just come. The truth of the matter is, the longer you dabble in unbelief, the more remote the possibility is that you will ever turn your heart to God. Who has committed the unpardonable sin? Have I committed the unpardonable sin, you might ask yourself? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you even care? If you don't even care, the probability is great that you have. If it doesn't bother you, if you're not sensitive to sin, if you don't in your heart this morning say, I've got a problem and I need to come to God, there is a great probability. You've just simply said so often, God, I'm turning you off. Maybe the truth of the matter is you are alarmed by the fact that you don't care over your sin. You ought to praise God for that alarm. There's still something in you that's saying, oh, child of God, child, won't you come to God? But if you've come to that point where you say, I don't care, I don't want to care, it doesn't bother me, let me tell you something. Somebody said, how, how much does sin weigh? The response was, well, let's just take a, it might weigh a pound, it might weigh 400 pounds, but the truth of the matter is this. To a dead man, it doesn't make any difference whether it weighs a pound or 400 pounds or 4,000 pounds because a dead man does not feel the weight. And people who are dead in the Spirit, just simply dead, they can commit sin after sin after sin. They can watch it, they can read it, they can think it, they can do it. It just doesn't bother them any longer. And you say, well, that'll never happen to me. Says who? God doesn't say it'll never happen to you. Every believer in Christ is eternally secure, but every unbeliever right now is flirting with eternal death. God never says it won't happen to you. In fact, just the contrary. God says, while it is day, while it is day, now is the time of salvation. This day, this moment, I've seen it happen so many times and I can remember hearing so many people say one day I will. 
One day I will. I'll give my heart to Jesus. Some years ago, I was asked by a lovely lady to come out and visit with her husband who was not a Christian. He had that sort of half-smirking smile. He said, well, preacher, you know, I, I think you're, you guys do a lot of good work up there. One of these days, I'm going to trust in Jesus. One of these days, I'm going to make it right. I'll, I'll join your church as if he was doing God a big favor. I'll join you. I'll do that one of these days. I mean, I'll do it one day. And I went back to that man's house repeatedly. A man who was confident that one day he would, but just not now. Well, one day he lay dying in the hospital. And his wife said to me, Preacher, would you go this one more time to my husband's bedside? And would you share with him that he can trust in Jesus? And that dying man who years earlier had been confident that when he got it together, one day he'd do God a favor. That dying man who died before the sun came up the next morning lay there in the bed and said, not now. I will. I'm preaching. Just, you know, I told you I'd do it, but not right now. And then here's what he said. Now, can you imagine this? He said, preacher, I don't want to be a hypocrite. All of my life I said I wouldn't trust Jesus. It'd be hypocritical of me to do it now. And with that, he slipped off to an eternity in hell. You think you've got it all together. You think one day, one day, one day, I'll do it. God doesn't say that. God says you come to him on his terms, not yours on his terms, not yours. And now is the day for some of you. It'll be the last day. And it could be that this will be that day when God says to you one more time, wake up, stir yourself, save yourself, trust in Jesus as your Savior. It could be that someone here this morning will run to this altar and say, that's what I want, but that others would turn and walk out after the closing prayer and say, well... I say, he really tries to scare me, doesn't he? And you will have just simply written your obituary, physically and spiritually, forever. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We've come to invitation time. Before I pray, let me just ask, all across this congregation, just by a show of hands, how many of you can say this morning, Oh, Brother Tom, it's such a thrill to know that I'm genuinely born again in the family of God. I know that I can't commit the unpardonable sin because I am born again in the family of God, eternally secure, and I don't have any question about that. Would you just raise your hand all over the auditorium? I'm so happy I'm saved. Praise God for that. Would you just put your hand down? I wonder how many this morning, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed and I'll just be looking around, but God sees your heart. I wonder how many of you would be honest enough and bold enough in this quiet moment to say, you know, I can't honestly lift my hand and say I know beyond any shadow of doubt that I'm born again. I don't know for sure if I died, I'd spend my eternity in heaven. And once again this morning, God's, 
got my attention. I'm thinking about it. Would you pray for me? Would you just lift up your hand if you're bold enough to say that? Just lift your hand up all over the congregation. Amen. Just raise it up. Yes. Way back there at the back. I see. Over to either side, up in the balcony. Just lift your hand up. I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I don't have it settled. I don't know beyond any shadow of that. Over here to my right, to your left. Just raise your hand real quickly. I don't know for sure. If I died, I'd go to heaven. Amen. Amen. Over here in the galleries, either side. I don't have it settled. I don't know for certain. If I died, would you just raise your hand? All right. In the choir, anyone? I don't have it settled. I don't know for sure. Just raise your hand. If you can't say beyond any shadow of a doubt, I know that I have eternal life. God's Spirit simply bears witness with my spirit. If I died, I'd spend my eternity with Him. You can't say that, but you'd like to leave this building, know that things are square between you and God. I want to encourage you. Right now, where you are seated, to just stretch through all of your preconceptions and put your faith in Jesus alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John said, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. Paul said, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right there where you're seated, would you just simply pray a prayer like this? And by faith receive God's gift of eternal life. Dear God, I know I've sinned. I've done a lot of things wrong, but I know you love me. You sent Jesus to die for me, to pay the price of my sin. Jesus rose from the grave. And Jesus said that he would come into my heart if I asked him. And so, Jesus, right now, I trust you as my Savior and as the Lord of my life. I believe in you. By faith I receive your eternal life, forgiveness of sin, and cleansing of sin. By faith I choose you as the master of my life. In just a few moments when we stand, I want to encourage you, the very moment we stand, to make your way forward if you prayed a prayer similar to that or would like to. Without hesitation, whether you're in the balcony, on the lower floor, all the way at the back to either side, the moment we stand, would you determine in your heart, I'm going to go down there. Jesus said, if a man confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But if a man denies me before men, him will I deny before my Father who is in heaven. And so this is your opportunity. Come, share that with a counselor. They'll talk with you, pray with you, give you a booklet which will encourage you. And you can go out knowing that you've been born again into the family of God. You have had pardon for sin for all of time and you'll spend your eternity in heaven with the Lord. It could be that there are others of you who need to make other decisions. The moment we stand, you come. You see, uh, it could be that you've never followed the Lord's command to openly confess your faith through the symbol of baptism. You ought to come this morning. It could be that God's spoken to your heart about becoming a part of this church family. Then you ought to come this morning as an individual or as a family without reservation. The moment we stand, you simply ought to come and settle it with God. It could be that you have some other decision to make. The altar is open. Some are beginning to move even now toward the altar. You just come this morning to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. The choir is going to sing the invitation right after we pray. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to pray together. Father in heaven,
how I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will just simply move in power at this invitation time. Bring to the altar those who will say yes to Jesus and yes to that which you as their Lord are speaking to their heart. And I pray it in Jesus' name just now. Amen. Now just come to the altar right now as the choir begins singing. God bless you. Our count.